David, what did you bring? I brought a song from James Taylor in the 1970s, My Decade. Oh, <laughs> you've got a friend. Nobody under 50 is going to be able to relate to this, but <laughs> when you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing, whoa, nothing is going right. Close your eyes and think of me and soon I will be there to brighten up even your darkest night. Many apologies to James Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, James. Oh. I made no money off of this song. <laughs> I'm but, like, I don't own the rights to that. I'm not, are you allowed to sing it? I may have right. to edit it. <laughs> well, I think you can sing it poorly. And if you oh. don't get money and you sing it badly, you can sing it. Oh, all right. Hold that thought. We're going to come back to you on this one because that right. was yeah, quite the opening. <laughs> Deepa, what did you bring? <laughs> Not a song and not as fabulously singing like David, but I brought this. this. This is like a thing that we did at the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. And uh, I'll share more. When okay. Ready for this, Valerie. Ooh. As you guys can already see, I have a pair of very creative and innovative guests today. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for tuning in once again to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. My name is Valerie Hope. I am your host, and I bring two people together who don't know each other. And actually, in this case, they just met 20 minutes ago. And we are here to build connection, to inspire curiosity, and sometimes even challenge the status quo. You can already see David's brought his A game. So status quo has been challenged officially. It is so sad. It is so sad that that's my A game, but. No, not sad at all. Beautiful, it's beautiful. <laughs> so um, let me, t I need to let people know how I, like, I didn't like find these random people here. So David and I have known each other for about two and a half, three years. He and I belong to the same Toastmasters bilingual club here in Dallas, Texas. And man, David, you are one of those people who bring so much energy and so much charm to every space you fill. And you're also a therapist who specializes in conflict. And I was like, but one of the most cheerful ones at that. <laughs> so when I thought about, hmm, I want David to be on my podcast. Who can I introduce David with, to? And I thought, ta-da, Deepa Pulipati here, Deepa. <laughs> and I, she already kind of cheated off by saying she brought this envelope from Berkeley. She and I went to the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. We've met, met maybe a year and a half ago. And two years? Ah, yeah, yeah. So it's been two years. And Deepa actually was on the Time to Come Alive podcast. So she's a veteran of the podcasting game. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but well, killing it on that podcast. She so killed it. <laughs> but David, guess what? Deepa also specializes in conflict resolution. What? <laughs> oh my gosh. And you guys are like the most upbeat, positive, <laughs> happy, go lucky, intuitive, empathetic, fun loving people that I know who are dealing with people under the most dire, stressful, unpleasant circumstances. And I was like, okay, there's gotta be something in this, in the magic here. So welcome to the podcast, guys. I'm excited. <laughs> I was excited too. before and this. 
<laughs> I'm even more excited now. Wow. Why are you so excited? Berkeley? Are you kidding me? Berkeley? <laughs> I mean, that's that's high cotton. You know? It is. It is. We're kind of a big deal. So. <laughs> I'm gonna here, I'm gonna button my collar here. Please do. We have, have a button at Berkeley, David. Come on, we had unbuttoned at Berkeley. That's <laughs> true. That's you like, should wear a backwards cap. Looks like your hippies. I forgot they're hippies. <laughs> And now, Valerie, I got a nice I, the name for both David and me. We're going to be called the Double Ds. <laughs> I, uh, you know, it's not that kind of show. Um, I yeah, I it's just family friendly. So hey, maybe, it's a family friendly name. Yeah. Okay, I didn't I didn't mean anything by it. I just how about if you're like how about David? David? It could be like David or Don. We should have our own like we should have our own like name. I think like yeah. you know. One of those like uh, celebrity names, you know. When they that's what I was saying. You should be like D David or Dappy or something. <laughs> Dappa, Dappa. There you go. Something. But no, look, we'll, we'll come back to it. That, I, I do we'll want to say the two it. of you have completely elevated this evening because both of you are. I think we should cheers. Let's cheers to that. Look at that. Thank you. Ching. Thank All you right. <laughs> I was water, yeah. by the way, just FII. <laughs> yeah, water, yeah, right. Deepa, you did not get to where you my, are today. My leaning, my leaning tower piece of water. Like, yeah, on. I mean, you're the one that wanted to call you guys double D. So <laughs> is it really water? Wait a minute. I thought you were not going to bring it up because it's is like it? a family show. That is true. I'm going to have to beep, bleep it out. <laughs> well, first of all, um, I'm just so grateful that you guys, again, everyone can now hear and see why I thought the two of you guys would be just phenomenal people to bring together. Cause you can already, you guys started bouncing off the walls the moment the cameras went on. <laughs> so I'm curious, <laughs> David, you already said you're excited, but what is it that had you say, said, say yes to meeting a complete stranger that you knew nothing about live in public? Because of you and exactly. because I'm so impressed with you. Seriously, I'm not lying. You are one mm -hmm. of the most mm -hmm. talented, gifted, funny, um, empathic people that I know. You helped save our club, Fiesta Bilingual, that was sputtering. And now it's really doing well. And so if Valerie hopes for it, I'm in it. Man, I couldn't get a better endorsement. Thank and you, I'm David. Getting, just let you know, I'm not getting paid, okay? This is totally free, so. <laughs> There's, I'm, not getting, yeah. I'm, not, I'm not getting paid, right? No, no, sorry. I should have, I should have said that up front. <laughs> no, but that's true. That's that's why I did it. I like you so much, and I admire you so much. If if you're going to be involved, it's going to be quality. So um, and it's going to be fun. So and it has been. Look at that. Ten minutes in. <laughs> I just, you know, have to agree with David on this. I don't know if I'll agree with him in the show overall, but no, I'm just kidding. Right? <laughs> but you no, may not. I, but seriously, I think one of the big things when you and I spoke about this like a couple of months ago, I just told you this. I'm like, if you're if you're doing this, I'm in it because there's such a huge trust for me that you will connect whoever it is that you think <clears throat> that we both will, you know, connect. You'll be absolutely fine because you have that talent mm. and I, I trust your expertise your knowledge and your empathy and your friendliness and your kindness and all of that and wow. I figured either way we're just gonna have fun which we already are you already are yes I 
and that's funny. I, I'll need to, maybe I need some therapy. I need maybe the two of you to work with me because that's the one thing I haven't been able to quite unpack. Like, what is it that I should be getting paid for this? Like, really? You guys should probably pay me, you know? That's because... too far. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, too much? Too, too much. It's, okay, I'll ask about 30 minutes in. So, <laughs> but a, a big part of me in this, this experience of the podcast is, so I do want people to see that, you know, two individuals from seemingly different backgrounds, different parts of the world or parts of the country, although you all share a profession, right? You have some similarities that I thought could have interesting conversation with one another. So I'm curious, after now knowing that each of you are working in the same field, what questions come up for you? Because I'm sure that there's like some third. Oh, 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 yes, David, go. Deepa. <laughs> I would like to know what got you interested in the field or the subject of conflict resolution and exactly what do you do in that field? Great question, David. So um, I fell into it by chance. So many, many years ago, um, I look very young, I know, but what can I say? You many, do many look years young. ago. <laughs> David, you should show your picture. Maybe you should hold it up the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> I was young. I used to be young. Black and white young. <laughs> Black and white before so, so just coming back, right, 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 right. Just coming back to your question. So um, I, uh, you know, came to this country in 98 and super interested in psychology and decided to sort of explore and got into master's in marriage and family therapy back in the day and um, I was looking for an internship. I literally did not know anybody. My entire cohort knew people. They were, they were already getting their internship. So a judge came on the weekend to teach us a class, a drug, ed, uh, drug addiction class. And I looked at her and I said, can I get some like, you know, work in, in the court and I can just do voluntary work. I don't even want to get paid. I just want to get some experience. She's like, come on over. And then I met her coordinator and I was there for six months and I asked the coordinator, I'm like, I need to get an internship. Like, I don't know where to go. She said, oh, there's this place next door called Family Court Services. You should totally check them out. I'm like, what, what, what do they do? Conflict resolution. I'm like, doing what? Like they- Resolving conflict. <laughs> right, well, like what kind of conflict, right? So yeah. parents divorcing, I'm like, what, with children? Yeah, so applied, I got in and I got in by chance and it was the, one of the best things that happened to me ever in my life. Mm. The two people who took me on, Billy and Alicia, took a 23-year-old, 22-year-old with zero experience because they felt like they saw something and they put, their, they put their entire trust in it and they said, Deepa, we know you got this. And I came into the court and I just loved it. I yeah. loved resolving people's disputes, or at least That's trying hardcore. to. That is hardcore conflict, family court services. That's impressive. That's, that's what I love doing. That's what I've been doing for the last 15 years. And so what's the Berkeley connection and what do you do there? So Berkeley, uh, I sort of pivoted. I, I decided I needed to do something else with my life because any child custody uh, dispute that is coming in front of me seemed too easy it wasn't very challenging <laughs> what oh <laughs> i'm like oh 
parental <laughs> conflict again. Because I love my parents, by the way. They're so amazing. Most of my parents, nine out of 10, they're such well-intentioned parents. They want to work it out. I'm like, um, like I feel like I wasn't using my brain cells. And wow. then I said, where do I take my skill set and apply it to something else? And coaching seemed to be the most easiest transition because we use so much of our skill set in there. And it, and then that was the time I moved to Southern California. I had to quit my fabulous job at Family Court in San Francisco. And I said, this is the right time to do it. And that's how I got into it. Look at that. So wow. now you know, David. What's your reaction? What was, you, you had all we kinds have, of stuff. We must have different parents. The parents that I dealt with in they do not want to work their conflicts out. They hate each other's guts. Oh. And it's like, woo, Nelly. So, so, so wait a minute, do you do, do you do child custody disputes too? I have done, I'm a, I'm a clinical psychologist and a consulting psychologist. And so I've been involved in the court system, kind of like, it's about probably a fifth of my practice now. Okay. Uh, I've been trained, I was a member of the American Psychology and Law Society for a while. But boy, it is just so messy. And the people that are involved, they don't really want to change. They want you to clean up the poop and they want you to fix the other person. Correct. We can't say poop here. Oh, I'm sorry. sorry. What I mean, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I didn't say that. Um, you, they, they want you to fix the other person. They mm -hmm. want you to clean up the situation and mm -hmm. in their favor. But very few people in the court system that I've seen are really interested in change and are really interested in understanding themselves and what they've brought to the problem. So it's, it's not very, for me, it's not very life-giving. It's incredibly important. The courts mm -hmm. absolutely need all the mental health professionals they can get to help True. them out. And those people have a very special skill set. But those people that do that primarily for their bread and butter, they've got to, they've got to have a certain kind of temperament that I just don't have. Don't you call yourself, I recall you using this in one of our speeches, one of your speeches, where you were like Dr. Conflict or Super Conflict Man or some, <laughs> you called yourself something, <laughs> touting <laughs> your... Wait, At what did you call time, yourself? At what one time I had a, a, a website called drconflict.com and then I lost it because I forgot, oh, you have to pay for it. And somebody, <laughs> I didn't realize that. So I'm, I'm Dr. Conflict in my mind. I really who's Dr. Conflict now. We should invite him next oh, time. I don't know. That's right. I probably or her $5,000 for the domain name. Um, I enjoy helping. The reason why I'm doing it is I like to help prevent the pain. Yeah. Uh, yeah. From happening in the first place. And when I went, I uh, went to Vanderbilt as an undergraduate and North Texas State University at uh, for my uh, master's and doctorate. And before I left, I did a really comprehensive literature search of the premarital counseling research that just to see if there was anything that worked. Was oh. there anything that worked? And so I studied the psychology and the theology and the sociology abstracts. And after doing studying it for about two or three years, there were two programs that were actually proven to reduce the divorce rate, reduce the breakup rate. And they both involved coaching people how to address and resolve conflict either before they walk down the aisle or after they walk down the aisle. Mm. And, and the most impressive research was out of the University of Denver and it's called PrEP. They found in multiple studies, longitudinal studies replicated in Germany and the America that if you taught these couples how to address and resolve conflict before they walk down the aisle, you reduce their chances of breaking up by 50, five, zero percent. 
That's huge. Wow. That is monumental for if wow. you invest like six weeks into this program. That's nothing. Yeah. yeah. So when I when I saw that, number one, I signed up with my wife Cindy because I did not want to become a statistic. As far as mm -hmm. I know, psychologists, uh, sadly, their divorce rates I don't think are any different than the nope. public. So really? I didn't. I didn't want to be a statistic. And so I signed up and Cindy and I went through that program and several others. And uh, when I just realized that teaching these fairly basic skills at a certain time helped prevent pain, that was very enticing to me because I really enjoy my job. I really enjoy helping people come out of, the, out, of, out of their pain, but it is so much more fun helping them learn the skills to resolve the issues so they can prevent as much of the pain as possible. Okay, so now you can't, of, of course, everyone, don't look for drconflict.com because that doesn't exist. So there's probably going to be another website or another email address that will lend, we'll make sure that you, David, and Deepa both share what you're up to so that people can find you. But you, you got to give us a little something. So what is it that people need to do or a nugget that you can share, either of you, that helps prevent the pain? Because I'm finding... Um, I don't, I mean, I'm a coach, but I don't deal with marital or with family issues necessarily, but the challenge is most people that I've worked with are dealing with the symptoms of something, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, now I need to get a promotion and I need to work on X, Y, Z, or, oh, I'm on the verge of some, you know, of quitting my job. So I'm so frustrated and I got to do X, Y, Z, right? So they've hit the pain already. They've, they've, they're in the pain and now trying to fix it to alleviate, you know, ameliorate it. So what tip do you have or what insight have you learned that helps prevent that? Especially when you're talking about marriage. I mean, that's such a huge 50%, uh, you know, to, to, to actually create the conditions so that there's a 50% um, uh, level of effectiveness is astounding. Deepa, do you want to take it first? Sure. I come from the perspective of seeing people mostly that have gone through the separation or divorce process. So for me, it's always in hindsight. So mm -hmm. when I looked at a whole bunch of cases, one of the fundamental things that I saw in most people was that they really did not have important conversations before having children, mm -hmm. right? something as basic as how are we going to raise when we have kids fundamentally the other big piece was they didn't know each other Valerie David like they many people like did not know basics of who each other was or how they wanted to be in a relationship mm -hmm. so for me it, it it almost felt like wow I really wish people spent some time getting to know each other deciding that it's they they really want to spend their lives together and then have children and also have a conversation as like a premarital co counseling conversation about how are we raising kids what kind of fate do we want these children to be raised and wh how are the grandparents going to be involved what are our child rearing practices i felt like these important conversations never happened mm. most of these people and i always asked them and they said well, we were very much in love. So we really didn't feel like, we felt like we, we could just work everything out. Wow. And you know what? That's something that's touted so much, right? The, the, the spark, the feeling, the passion. And it doesn't seem sexy or appealing to sit down and talk to someone about, look, I want to be like this when it comes to ch children or here's what I expect when it comes to dealing with in-laws. Those conversations can sometimes be difficult. So- 
So it sounds like Deepa, you are dealing with that after the fact, right? People are then looking, oh, I wish we had, or man, we missed an opportunity. But David, you said you want to prevent the pain. So what is it that you provide before they get to that point that makes that happen, makes that possible? Well, some of it is the most basic communication skills. And mm-hmm. in the group from PrEP at the, out of the University of Denver, they have something called the floor. And it is just a little piece of cardboard about this big around. And on one side, it just has rules for the, it's called the speaker listener technique. And at its most basic level, level the speaker has the floor and, and the vernacular is the, the person who has the floor is the one who talks. And then the listener is the one who's listening. And in the most basic ways, the speaker is concisely expressing what they want to say. They allow time for the listener to paraphrase and then they share the floor. And Mm. the rules for the listener are, I don't rebut. I'm not arguing because I'm not, this is not my role. My role right now is to listen to the other person Mm-hmm. I'm going to paraphrase. I'm going to put into my own words what I hear them saying. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to, I'm, I'm not going to argue. And because, and it's a back and forth thing. And each person talks, I would say, maybe for at, at most two or three minutes. And then the other person paraphrases. They check to say, is that it? Did I get it right? So what I hear you saying is, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And they just go back and forth like that. That is communication 101. Yeah. But you would not believe how many people don't do communication one-on-one, especially on some of the issues that Deepa was saying. Yeah, This is not rocket science, but we don't use some of the most basic skills to answer some of the most basic questions because we have this Hollywood idea of what marriage is gonna be like, what love is gonna be like, and it's a lie. It's just, you know, we, we get so many things out of order uh, from the media and from Hollywood And so anyway, uh, some of the most basic skills can help people resolve so many of their issues or they find out, I do know you and I don't think we're gonna be a good match. Mm. Which is success. Exactly. That is is successful premarital counseling. Exactly. If you can help people Mm -hmm. prepare for a lifelong together or you can help them understand you know what, you're a nice person, I like you, but we're not a good match. That is absolutely successful premarital counseling. Absolutely, 100% agreed. And, uh, you know, the technique that David was talking about, that is one of the fundamental techniques that I use for in couples therapy in general, just communication one-on-one, because most of the time as we are speaking to each other in whether it's like low conflict or medium conflict or high conflict, we're already thinking in our brain, like what is it that we want to respond defending our position? So we're really not listening to the other person. So even couples that come in have been married for 15, 20 years, I have them take a step back and do this simple technique every single day before we meet our next session. Mm. Huge effectiveness because then now they're really listening to each other. And listening, not to debate, not not to prove the other person wrong i'm listening to really try to understand you to understand what your point is why you think that and ideally you know what are the emotions in the story behind why you're saying this and if you Mm. can get people to even have that mindset just put on a different set of lenses sometimes they already have the skills they just don't use them because they're looking at it from the point of view of an of a lawyer or an attorney or a debate coach, rather than 
this is my life partner, mm-hmm. I care about them, and I really want to understand them. Wow, you guys are saying some really impactful things. Now, here's where I'm curious. I'm going to pull the curtain back here. So this is you at your best professionally. What would your spouses say about you? <laughs> okay, that's all we have time for today. <laughs> bye, bye, Valerie. See you later. Connection. What? What did you say? No. I have the floor now, so let me. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here comes the okay. truth. So, so Deepa, yeah. do you want to start, or you want me to start? You're being so generous, uh, uh, David. David, you start because last time I started. All right. <laughs> Thank you. I think. Okay, just because you know these skills, mean that you use these skills. Okay. So the nice thing is, it's nice to have them in your our your your your, your repertoire that's right your repertoire your toolkit okay. now <laughs> and seriously just because you have them doesn't mean you always choose to use them True. and in fact on our bad days we don't choose to use them yeah. to our peril and last thursday i <laughs> totally blew it i totally blew it and i have the skills i'm dr conflict for crying out loud Dr. Well, Conflict were. didn't pay for his website. <laughs> okay, right, he didn't pay for his yeah. freaking website. Anyway, I did not use the skills. I came in, Cindy and I had a negative exchange. It was my fault. Now, one of the things that I did do is that we came back later and we, we repaired it well. Because one of the things that the research shows is that couples, successful couples, they don't bat a thousand. Nobody bats a thousand. Nope. One of the things that successful couples do is they make successful repair attempts. Yeah. And once they blow it, either in the form of a formal apology or some type of olive branch is extended and the other person receives it. So Sunday night, Cindy and I get together and I apologize because I did blow it. I, I did not handle it well. She graciously accepted my apology and then we went on. So I... <laughs> It would be really interesting to see what Cindy would say. I'm yes, I'm like Cindy. I think here she is. Come on. I would be more than welcome. It would be interesting. But I also want to say, just because you you study this stuff doesn't mean it comes easy. It's 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 never natural when you're mad. It's never natural when you're hurt or scared. You have to choose. I'm going to use the skills because. Very few of my natural responses are healthy. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think under under any kind of stress like that, I mean, mad, hurt, scared, right? When when the amygdala hijacks, mm-hmm. <laughs> any any form of rationale, logic escapes, right? There's no there's no place. Um, so, do you say something in that moment, like when you're when you know that you're just too hurt or too angry or too upset? Is there something that is there like a you know, red flag or something. Like, what do you say to indicate? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So one of the things I've been doing, and maybe this is because um, my husband and I, we're e- even more motivated now that we have a 14 year old, like in the same household, and we want to sort of ensure and do some good modeling uh, mm-hmm. of behavior. So one of the things that we do say, or at least I employ with him is that I say, I'm like really upset. I'm really angry. I'm really frustrated. So can we just take a break and talk back after 10 minutes? 
because if we continue this path then we're going to say stuff to each other that we're out of anger or whatever right Mm. and we're not going to like it and then like david said we end up having to repair which is you know you have to repair any part of these you know uh, fractures in a relationship because that's the only way to connect it but still like just talking about how you're feeling rather than talking about the issue makes a huge difference mm. huge you know, difference when you call it time out i mean seriously just yeah. time out. i'm right now i'm too angry i'm too hurt i'm too upset exactly and we just need to talk about this cindy did a great job cindy is not a trained therapist she's a pharmacist she did a great job saying i'm not able to keep on talking right now let's talk later wow. yeah yeah and then she she does she have a prescription on hand is that, <laughs> now she's you know. I massively she sedated me i was really well behaved <laughs> anything you say honey sure. <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> no i mean seriously disengaging yeah. is one of the best things that you can do for your for in that moment right but it's really hard to disengage because one of us is usually it's either him or me like really involved in that moment and wanting to say our stuff because we're so in it already right yeah. and i actually talk about this to my clients because i don't want you know part of the experience to be oh she's a therapist so she's probably doing everything right uh no i'm a human at the end of the day i'm in my own situations so i'm not as objective as i can be while talking to somebody else about their situation right so i'm in it and it's but the good thing is that we know in the back of our mind or at least i do like oh my god here's a slippery slope okay. i need to take a pause and we have like at least i feel like i've gotten better with age <laughs> <laughs> well you know it's funny my uh, younger brother and i were talking yesterday i bring my coaching skills to it's like a party favor you know like i tend to bring them wherever i go sometimes they're appreciated sometimes they're not his 15 year old often tells me, are you life coaching me right now? Valerie? Cause I not, I don't want that. I'm like, Oh, Oh yes. Okay. Coaching it off. But it so happened that a couple of weeks ago, I went up there, they, they live close by and I like cooking. And so I, I play this little game when I go and I just look in the refrigerator and I pull stuff out and I see what can I make with this, right? That's just because I like to cook and I like to be creative. And so I pulled out a bunch of random stuff and then eventually decided what I wanted to do. So I asked a 15 year old, I'm like, hey, can you come help me, uh, you know, doing some things? And she's like, what, what, I'm not even hungry. <laughs> and I was just like, I know, but I just need some help because you know where this is and you know where that is. She's like, but we don't use that for that. We don't use, and it was just like, I'm like, what, what just happened? And it's so she had gotten into a little argument with her younger sister. And so she was bristling from that. She was upset and mad about it. And I asked for support at the wrong time. And she literally, she's like, why is the bacon out? We don't even use bacon for this. That's for breakfast. She takes it and puts it back in the fridge. And in my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, I'm your elder. <laughs> I'm like, why isn't your dad saying something? He heard you, <laughs> you know? Like, and then I'm thinking too, but I really want to cook something and I actually want to enjoy myself doing it so I can make her do it, make her feel wrong and bad about it. And then she'll like, then I'll have to manage whatever she's feeling in the moment and like tiptoe or whatever, or I could be happy. So I was like, I don't think I want that kind of energy right now. So yeah, you don't have to help me. Thank you. And then she's like, fine. And she leaves. And then her younger sister, because she loves to like, 
I'll do it. <laughs> so she I'll came over. Child. Yeah, yeah. It was perfect. And she helped out. But then at the end of the evening, when I was heading home, the 15 year old came back to me and she was like, I'm sorry, Tia Valerie. Um, I just wasn't feeling good. I had an argument, you know, with my sister and I was like, hey, no, I got it. Thank wow. you for letting me know. Uh, but it was what was fascinating in that moment I was sharing with my brother is like you said, Deepa, right? And the, the, the presence of mind to like not react. And, you know, I could have forced an outcome at that moment because I'm the older, you know, whatever adult, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. my brother, I'm like, hey, check your daughter. <laughs> Why is mm -hmm. she talking to me in that tone or something? Mm -hmm. But then I was like, you know, she should actually have the freedom to feel. The agency to- Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. She feels however she feels and it's not personal. I knew that. And I had enough presence of mind to say, okay, yeah, go feel. You're, this is not a good place for you to be. And then afterwards, it literally took maybe an hour or two before she was just able to come by and say, hey, I'm sorry, that was not personal. I'm like, oh, love it. So yeah. the repairing, to your point, David, the repairing the conflict is also so much um, so much, so much more valuable because I think it also builds a sense of trust. Mm -hmm. Like now I hope, right. She knows not that we have these moments very, very often, but I hope she now knows that she can feel free to say what there is to say that I could be okay with whatever she says and that we can still repair. I won't hold a grudge or I won't have to punish or there won't be a consequence. Like I won't pull away from my love from her, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so I think the things that you guys are sharing are, are quite extraordinary. One of the things about repair also is education and from a perspective and education is really important, especially with my son, because I want him to sort of develop the skill set that he already has, where he's empathetic about what's going on in the situation. He's in touch with his feelings. He understands where I'm coming from. And there's there's so what what we end up doing is whenever we do repair, we also, my husband and I, we also talk about, hey, remember that yesterday you sort of got really upset, you know, usually coming from that space, it won't help you, it won't help us. So next time, see if you can sort of, you know, regulate your emotions and not only by talking, but also doing it ourselves, or at least trying to do it ourselves in the moment, right? Mm -hmm. So even with repair, there's a bit of education involved and a bit of giving perspective to him. And he just thinks about it. they just absorb like it's not mm. like oh yeah i'm just going to do it right away but it's just like right now we've planted the seed yeah that's fascinating but now here's the thing right here's the thing so uh -oh. cindy is not here and your husband is not here deepa but mm -hmm. how do you apply everything that you guys have said to social conflict right we are living in some really divisive times right now anything from you know the is in your face, right? Anything from politics to, you know, the healthcare system, the vaccine, the you know, coronavirus, uh, racial inequity. I mean, there's so much out there. I mean, pick, pick your poison. And how do you apply what you guys are saying to those? David, well, you I think first? for me, um, so much of my education over the past year to year and a half uh, has been about uh, racial diversity and I've been a part of a group called Threaded, and uh, it's a part, uh, it's a group that's dedicated to helping the church become less segregated. Because one of Martin Luther King's most iconic statements was the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Hmm. And that's, that was certainly true back then, and, and it's largely true now. And so through this group, 
it's helped me grow personally. I mean, I've had, uh, I needed to grow. I mean, I, I've been raised in a white bubble in suburbia and I still live in a white bubble and that's just not reality. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm going to help other people, I need to grow. I need to grow in my understanding. I need to grow in my sympathy, if not empathy. And I need to listen and I need to not, I need to recognize and learn about my own biases, my own implicit biases. And at times I need to repent. And so a lot of it is to me is hopefully modeling what I'm trying to teach other people. Um, A lot of the seminars and workshops that I've been to, they talk about listening. And, but one of the things that they haven't done the ones that I've been to, they haven't actually taught people how to listen. They haven't coached people how to listen. And so that's actually something that I hope I might be able to be a part of uh, in the next year or two is having some of these discussions, these authentic dialogues where people actually learn how to listen to mm. somebody from a different race, a different culture, maybe a whole different belief system and try to understand. You know, it's so fascinating you say this because I went to Easter service last weekend with my brother and his family and they go to, well, at least that particular service we went to, it's predominantly white church. Their family is, is a mixed family in, the, in that my brother's black and then his wife is white and then their children are biracial. Um, and there was not a lot of, I, at least from what I could tell, in a pretty, pretty good sized uh, church and a lot of people there. And there was a moment in time where I literally sat and I thought, huh, well, first of all, it's Christian, right? It's Baptist church, Christian faith. And I thought, wow, if that couple over there had been born in India, for example, hmm, they wouldn't be Christian. They'd be going to a puja of some sort or celebrating Diwali or something like that. Hmm. And if, if that child over there had been born in, you know, other place, he might be doing communion, right? So it was so fascinating to just think about how I don't want to diminish the spiritual or religious practices, but it is actually quite arbitrary in the sense that based on your geography, where you were born and what time of your life you were born in that place, whatever the predominant religion is, is what you tend to inherit, right? Unless your family belongs to a specific group. Mm -hmm. But it was just quite fascinating to think about, like there's other people, maybe, you know, in a few weeks, Ramadan is taking place and there's going to be other people congregating for another reason. And it was, I just had that kind of a global moment. And I, you're right. That is one of the most segregated times is when people attend whatever services they attend. And I was like, why does it have to be that way? And does it have to be so divisive? That's the other piece. Cause there are, there are moments of divis- you know, the divisiveness is what hurts people. Yes. You know, go worship, do whatever you want, however you want it. But then it's the you should do it this way. We need to change this. That makes it challenging. You go from judging behaviors or judging even beliefs to judging people. Yeah. Not only is my opinion on politics or religion better than yours, I am a better person than you. Either subconsciously, we have that thought. And when we go there, oh man, that's, that's destructive. It's destructive to everybody. It's destructive to the person that holds the views and it's destructive. It polarizes society. Huge. 
Mm -hmm. Deepa, what's on your mind about this? You know, it's been a really, I think, post-Trump, I, I feel like literally how I view the world and people has changed. And that's been a dramatic shift for me. And there's a lot of sadness actually that comes with it because I've lost friends, really? you know, because we don't share the same values. And that was shocking to me. That was like a big revelation that people that I thought within the you know, church community that I thought shared the same values, they just didn't, you know, when it came to um, race and LGBTQI community, and when it came to people of color, and some of them are people of color. So for me, it, a few years was a lot of anger, like, like David talked about, you know, judgment and anger, there was a lot of that. There's a lot of like questioning, like, how are we on the same page with all of these people? And I don't want to get into conflict with anybody as much as I love to resolve people's conflict. I think part of it is that we are conflict avoidance to some certain extent, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. I was like, oh my God, but I got into it with a couple of people because our views were so like different and it was shocking to me. I'm like, these are people who value family, who I thought had the same values that how would they like this person who did so much damage to this country, right? Or how can they even talk about moral values? But anyway, that's a, that's like a rabbit hole I can go into. But after that post that there was a lot of sadness, like I lost good friends mm. because I just don't have that respect for them anymore. <clears throat> and there's not anger right now because I feel like we're, we're, you know, sort of pivoting and hopefully moving towards something better, but I lost good friends that I thought were like family. That's, that's fascinating to me. I think that the challenge or the part that makes it so difficult, Deepa, is A, there was something that brought you all together as friends, right, first of all. Um, and then B, this idea, and David, you mentioned this, right, that we tend to judge people versus the belief. And I have people in my life who have ex extreme <laughs> beliefs that I would never adopt and I don't agree with. And I, I remember particular a conversation I had with someone who had very, very outspoken about her beliefs around politics and they were diametrically opposed to mine. But what was fascinating in that moment, and you're talking about listening, is I started and it, it took some effort Look, I don't, I don't mean to sound like I'm, I'm coming off like, oh, Valerie's got to figure it out. I mean, I, I practice a lot of this and I get it wrong a lot of times too. But in this case, it was not, this was not a friend. It was not somebody that I was particularly close to, but someone who shared with me, a client that shared with me some of the things that she believed. And I was like, wow, really? Oh, okay. That's really dark. <laughs> and, it's, and it's quite heavy. Do you have someone in your life that you're talking to about this? I said, I know nothing about what you're talking about. I don't subscribe to any of it. So I can't, I can't, I'm not going to counter it or I, it's not my place to, but do you have someone in your life that you're able to apply this to? And um, she'd share that she couldn't even talk to her kids about it because they didn't agree. And there's all this stuff. And I, and what I got in the moment was like, wow, that must be really lonely. Mm -hmm. And how, however we get to who we are and what beliefs we take on, there's gotta be a time where if we want to build a bridge of some sort or want to maintain those friendships where the priority has to be an understanding 
Like, how did the person come to be where they are as opposed to the belief or the, you know, like how to disprove that they're, how to prove that they're wrong doesn't seem to be a winning formula, right? But understanding why they got to that place. David, what, what yeah. Gonna, yeah, it was an article I read a few weeks back that behind every belief is a story yes. and behind every story is a person. Yeah. As, you know, I think it's great to try to have collaborative discussions and to try to see where can we be, where are we on the right, on the same page? Where can we get to the same page? But there can be sometimes where we have irreconcilable ideas, philosophies, yep. or beliefs. Yep. So what do we do then? Well, to me, caring about the person is huge. And if I can get to the story behind the belief, and the person behind the story, then I can, oh, that's how you came to believe that. Yeah. Okay, then I can identify part of that. Mm -hmm. And if I can identify with part of that, then I can sympathize and I might even be able to empathize with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now we, we still disagree, but you know what? I care for you as a person. Mm -hmm. I don't hate you. In fact, I like you and we still disagree. Yeah. Well, if we can get there, that is monumental progress. Right. I mean, I don't think our governmental leaders at either the, the national level or the state level or the local level are doing a very good job of being role models for how to have, how to have civil and constructive conversations, debates about the issues of our day. But a lot of times we're not doing it. So anyway, trying to get to understand the person behind the belief so that they're not just a category or they're not just a progressive or a conservative or a this or a that, yeah. but they're this person that has a name and a, and a history. Instead of sticking a label on them. Yeah. You know, I, I kind of, I, I would subscribe to that, David, but I think, uh, you know, I have seen something slightly different in the sense that it takes two to come to that point to uh, like both parties have to want to be there. Mm -hmm. And some of the people that I've seen who subscribe to some other notion of what they think reality is, uh, is they, they, they're just not even there. They're just like, no, I'm right. This is what I think is going on. You're a liberal, you're like too far left and you're too far this. I actually consider myself a moderate more than a too far left liberal. Like I would be okay if a Republican is doing a damn good fine job of taking care of everybody. Like I don't freaking care, right? Mm -hmm. Like do a good job for all people <laughs> in your community and in the country, right? So for me, it was more along the lines of we're just, there, there's just no meeting of values at all. So I don't wish them any harm. I wish them well, but I just can't be part of their lives and I don't want them to be part of my life. Yeah. Well, I think there is a level of a toxicity when there's when a, when when people are so toxic that they cannot have that perspective of mutual respect despite differences. Sometimes I think you do have to. Cut yeah, you just have to let it go, right? You just have so, to let it go. So, is it that people are toxic or people are intoxicated? <laughs> No, I'm not. I just had this moment when you said that because I think this is water. This is water. <laughs> uh, it is water. Yeah. Water for me too. Everybody, yeah. cheers. Yeah. Take a sip. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to say something deep. All right. right. So tell me about intoxicated people. Deep, yeah. So the idea is that yeah, you know, we 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 can put a label on the 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 vehemence that comes out when people mm -hmm. disagree about mm -hmm. something, and we can label that toxic, right? Because we care. We don't care for it. We don't want it. It, it 
it's hurtful or, or maddening or whatever. But I say intoxicated because to your point, if there's a belief, behind every belief, there's a story and behind the story, there's a person, then the intoxication took place wherever the story starts. Like there was something that I heard, something that I experienced, something that happened that had me, you know, programmed to react a certain way or, right, there was something. And, and the intoxication is basically, this is the outcome. I'm not sure if I'm gonna articulate this perfectly, but the, the outcome of whatever I decided once that situation occurred. I made a choice, right? I, you know, small example, and, and sometimes it can be an empowering choice and sometimes a disempowering one. But I, I remember when I was like maybe six or seven years old and I, we were leaving my grandparents' house and they lived in an apartment complex. And this is in Panama. And my parents and uh, my brothers and I had to cross the main street, like four lane street to get the bus. And the bus was coming in the opposite direction. So the bus is coming. My two younger brothers are very young. So my parents are carrying them. My older brother and I were walking ourselves across the street. You know, this was Sunday evening. I'm wearing my little Sunday dress, whatever. And the bus is coming. So we have to rush across the street. I slip and I fall in the middle of the street. Cars are coming. I'm freaking out. And, you know, I think it was my parents. Somebody turned around and said, Valerie, get up. Come on, the bus is coming. And I was like, I almost died. <laughs> like, hello, help. And my and they didn't turn around to come and get me. I literally had to just pick myself up and come across, go across the street. Now, that moment was seared into my psyche because I decided at that moment that I got to take care of myself. The world isn't safe and no one cares. Right. And that was that couldn't be further from the truth. All of them cared. They were focused on getting the bus, making sure they were carrying the younger brothers, whatever. Um, but what that ended up marking for me was a life of being as an independent and as self-assertive and controlling and you know performative, like you name it. It just programmed me to be this version of Valerie. And now there are times where I where it's worked really well, super effective, right? Which intoxicating, right? That moment was very intoxicating because it marked a big path for me. But now I also see, oh, it also works against me because it doesn't always include collaboration and partnership and right there's 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 some give and take that goes missing or that has to be now put in intentionally because my nature is to just oh I'll take care of it mm-hmm. and um so it's been fascinating to discover how that shows up so anyway the whole point here is that that story marks a marks a moment and whatever that moment whatever we chose in that moment I would imagine tends to move us in one direction or another. And that's why the intoxication comes. It's maybe not about the other person as much as this, this is a choice I made and I'm programmed now, right? Mm-hmm. I've now been imbibing this, and this, the tolerance that I have for living this way is very high because mm-hmm. this is what I've created. Does that resonate? I don't know. What do you guys hear in what I said? <laughs> I heard trauma. <laughs> trauma yeah right and it stayed in because yeah. it was never processed or uh, it, it was just a fleeting moment in your life like technically from your parents perspective in that age nothing really happened to you weren't harmed mm-hmm. right, no, it, right? Wasn't, yeah. it was internalized trauma in that moment that 
you we carry it with ourselves to so to your point maybe a lot of these people's stories start with some kind of a trauma right or something in their childhood that made them in a certain way but the thing is you would want to one person even if i speak for myself i'd want to sort of change look at myself and get better or seek help so a lot of people that i'm talking about in terms of just have these specific beliefs and these are just personal relationships my clients are amazing by the way because they're here they're coming to me because they're looking for help and they're wanting to they want to change yeah they want to change right but these are friendships i'm talking about and very few but they i don't know if they want to look at themselves the only way you can change is if you if you look at yourself and see where all of this is coming from yeah you. that's true right that's the only way you can say oh yeah maybe this is not this situation or this is not these other people's perception of other views or this is not about my view but this is about what i've gone through and what i'm bringing with me for the rest of my life because i've not resolved it mhm it's too scary and painful to resolve these traumas it can be yeah i mean in my case i don't it was subconscious i don't think mm-hmm. it was anything that was so egregious yeah. and plus it was it's quite an empowering context to have around any kind of trauma right it's not okay. like i was victimized in some way by that experience and the idea is that we notice when it bumps up against okay now this is not moving life forward is now no longer empowering me right but i think that's that's where we now have an opportunity in having conversations with like people like you and the expertise that you have would support people in moving past it but in friendships and relationships where people just want to be who they are and just want to be able to share themselves openly and have somebody still be able to hear and see them i mean it's it's got to be rough it's got to be rough um yeah. Yeah. so you want to surround yourself with people who would be like yeah I'm, you know there's nothing worse i i'm going to go back to the intoxication cuz i think i'm going to write a book about this cuz i think there's <laughs> something there's something rich here i don't know there's something rich so but think about it i don't drink i really don't i mean i have had some but i don't like being around drunk people Mm-hmm. it's annoying i don't get into it but they're like but if you drank you'd be fine <laughs> right cuz other cuz you'd match the level of energy or whatever's <laughs> happening in the moment and so i think it's the same thing when you're when you're dealing with something and you're at that space and i don't share that value or i don't yeah it's you're intoxicated and i'm not it's not going to be pretty it's not going to be fun somebody there's going to be miserable likely both Mm-hmm. you're not getting me i'm not getting you and it's like we don't belong here mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. david I you look you're going to say something profound i the thing that you know that deeper was talking about when if you if we can try to give people the benefit of the doubt because one of the things i think we have to worry about is our heart getting hard, our hearts getting hardened Yeah. Um, my either out of bitterness or resentment mm-hmm. or whatever out of fear mm-hmm. from people that are so different than me that have beliefs that I might find just uh horrific. Mm-hmm. I still I still have to guard against my heart getting hardened against those people. Mm-hmm. And and if I can think there there might legitimately be some kind of genuine traumatic experience I can get to a place of sympathy. Yeah. I still can despise the ideas. I can still 
reject the philosophy or whatever, but hopefully I can say, I can still care for this person at some level. I still may need to separate from them depending yeah. On, yeah. On, the, on the proximity or lack thereof, but I gosh, just the whole them versus us in America and Fox versus CNN. And mm -hmm. it's just, it, it really is draining. Yeah, and I think that phenomenon, that phenomenon really is toxic because because it, yeah. it just breeds the worst in us. And that, I don't know, I think that's probably where our society, I don't think our societies, you know, in terms of innately is the people are worse than the people 50 years ago or a hundred years ago. But I think some of these influences are bringing out some of our worst qualities. Yeah, I would imagine, yeah, I, could, I definitely see that. But you know, so, having said all of this, um, if these friends just call and say that they need help or something, I would do it. it it's a non-issue, right? Mm -hmm. So there's that level of this is another human being. This is not about beliefs and values at this point. This is about what is it that the, I, I can do to help because they'll still be, you know, my friends at a certain level, but we're just not going to be that close friendships, right? But if right. they say, hey, I need something, I'm there. The, yeah. the, there's no question about that. And I think everyone, you should call it. Deepa. If you need help, <laughs> and the more messed up you are, the better. 1 800 Deepa. <laughs> Look, I mean, we're, we're just getting started, but our, our time is coming to an end, sadly, for this level of conversation. I mean, it, it got so heated in here. I had to bring out my fan. Woo. Woo. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And I totally forgot about the object. <laughs> I'm so glad you did that, Deepa. So, David... <laughs> <laughs> you had a song us. Yes. this is yes. perfect thank you for bringing us back around so david you you brought a song to just call on me which i now think is going to be deepa's theme song because that's what she's oh, asking you've all her got, you've got a friend you've got a friend yes <laughs> so tell us why is that song so important to you well i think you so the question was uh, a song or an object or a quote that reflects our passion yeah. for our profession and there's no real song that is an exact analogy, but when I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, uh, as in my teens and early twenties, some you know I wasn't very scientific. I wasn't very mechanical. I was minimally athletic, and so when I heard somebody talk about counselors or psychologists, and I said, "So what do they do?" And they said, "Well, you, they people come to them and they talk to the people about their problems, and they try to help them." with the stresses of life and try to help them get to a better place. And I go, what? You can make money by talking to people? I thought that's- Not that much by the way, but you can. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's what friends do. Friends talk to each other and they try to help each other. Yeah. Now, I, I learned you know, fairly quickly that yes, at some level and no at some level. I mean, friends really can help each other by talking. Yeah, and friends really can help each other deeply by listening. I mean, you can talk people off a ledge. You yeah. can prevent suicide by just listening to somebody and caring. Okay. Yeah. And to help them get out of some of their stuck places, yes, you, ab you absolutely need more training. But just the aspect of being a friend and, and helping people was, what, was, was a really key part of why I was attracted to counseling and psychology. 
Wow. And I really like that song. And I think at some point, maybe we'll, we'll have you sing the chorus when we, uh, when we close. Deepa, show us your collage there. What was it about that collage that you felt you wanted to share with us? So my work is constantly evolving. Like I usually don't have something that's consistent to what I'm doing in the moment, but this has stayed with me since when I did it, right? So there are a few things that I will read from you guys and uh, from it, this, this, this is like the core of like my beliefs and values. And whenever I feel like I'm alone and I feel that a lot of times in my profession, because in private practice, um, as much as I have tons of friends and professionals in the same arena, you're doing a lot of work by yourself. And if you're building, <clears throat> excuse me, if you're building uh, like a enterprise or something, it, it can get lonely and it can get like, there's a lot of self-doubt in there. Like there's a lot of, am I even like, can I even do this kind of a thing? So that's when mm -hmm. I really look at it because there's a lot of sayings in here that like really motivate me. And there's some funny ones too. I'll read you guys the three funny ones, they're short. Yeah. So therefore the three most important people in my life, one is, you know, my son, my husband and my dad. So, <laughs> so one is uh, for my son, if you've never been hated by your child, you've never been a parent. <laughs> I saw that one. Was, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it, it grounds me so much. Uh, for my dad, my dad, the man, the belly, the legend, I'm going to get him a t-shirt that says belly. <laughs> And for my husband, this is, you know, my husband's wife is freaking awesome. My <laughs> 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 husband's wife is freaking awesome. <laughs> Hashtag uh, true story. <laughs> true story. Love it. <laughs> What's your husband's name, Deepa? Vasu. Vasu? Yeah. All right. So Vasu, um, I'll invite Vasu and Cindy next. Go. And then we'll get we need the counter. Story. Oh my God. <laughs> I would have to like run off somewhere and hide. <laughs> right. uh, was, oh my gosh. Well, I want to, I want to ask you now about this experience, the experience of being on this podcast and meeting each other for the first time. And I mean, we, we got into some stuff, so I'm curious, what was this like for you? What stood out about it? Tons of fun. Uh, I, I, didn't know what to expect, but I knew it was going to be enjoyable and it was much more enjoyable than I thought. And it's wow. always a pleasure to get to associate with you, Valerie and Deepa. What a, what a pleasure and an honor to meet you. And I need to look up the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. You do. Yes. And David, what did, what did you enjoy the most? You said it was very enjoyable. So what was it that you enjoyed most about this? Oh, the laughter and the back and forth and the silliness and the, and the, the mix of silliness and gravitas. Yeah. Um, that's, uh, that's quite a combination. Yeah, silliness and gravitas. I think I should have a t-shirt with that. I know. That's still be the name of my Valerie equals silliness and gravitas. Yeah. Dr. Silliness and gravitas.com. There you go. <laughs> ah, thanks. And De and Deepa, what about for you? What was this you know, like? You know, I the minute I, I met David, um, of course I know you, Valerie. I, I was just cracking up. Like we we met like uh, 10, 15 minutes before and I was just laughing so much my cheeks were already hurting and I was like oh my god this is just going to be such a fabulous and hilarious conversation and the best part was it was a great balance of we got into some yeah. some deep stuff we talked about our work and we laughed and we 
there was humor, it was perfect. And, you know, and I think circling back, it just comes back to how you bring people together. Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of trust for people who come on your show and you bring the right people together and we connect and we have a great conversation and hopefully your audience enjoys these conversations. Oh, I hope so too. I, you know, I get so much joy from it. I, I don't get paid for this, although I said I should, and I think you guys should pay me. So oh, no, but it's something that is really a, a, it's a passion project for me. I love meeting new people. I love learning and hearing stories. And it's funny, you know, my mom and I had this long conversation the other day because I told her, I like talking to just like regular people. And I appreciate shows like Ellen or, you know, Oprah Winfrey, you know, they bring some pretty heavy hitters, although, you know, Oprah in her time and Ellen in her time brings some regular folk, but usually a regular folk who've done something extraordinary. And I was like, no, I don't want, (laughs) don't be offended, but I don't want extraordinary people. Extraordinary (laughs) people? What? This is so nice, Valerie. This is what you thought about us. This is kind of like... We're totally extraordinary. Extraordinary people doing not ordinary things. Yes? Uh, <laughs> you put out of your mouth. Exactly. I, Are you Sagittarian? Like, what's going on? Well, I'm an Aquarius, and so that's an air sign, and we think differently. That's all. So... <laughs> But no, it was interesting because I really, I get so much from seeing people connect in interesting ways. People that I, you know, I know the two of you, but not like super well. We don't like hang out and we haven't been involved in each we other's should, lives beyond. We should, and we can definitely do that. But I, I so appreciate A, the amount of, of generosity the two of you shared today, just in the humor and sharing something personal about your own struggles or your own biases, right? The, the things that you now have um, learned, the tools that you can now give to other people. That's, that's my favorite when I see there's a level of collaboration in, in the spirit of the, of the show. What, so we won't get into it now, but I'm curious, what, what would you like to talk about if you were to meet again? What questions did you wish I asked or gone down into a little bit more detail? From my side, I, I don't deal with a lot of executives or businesses. I've had some training in uh, courses that work with businesses, but I haven't had a lot of personal experience. Like I've studied crucial conversations and crucial Mm -hmm. confrontations and other programs for businesses, but I haven't had a lot of experience. So I would just, I would talk to Deepa more about what are the kinds of issues that she sees in dealing with executives or businesses conflicts and how are those similar or different from what happens in you know the counseling office when she's dealing with mm-hmm. husbands and wives and just people like that interesting yeah. and deepa yeah. what about for you what question would you do you wish we'd we talked about or perhaps things that you would follow up with dr conflict about <laughs> dr conflict I think one of the things I really would want to know from him a lot more about is his experience with working with different couples with premarital counseling. Like that, I, I feel like is such a tremendous service that we can offer as mental health professionals to people on our website and say, hey, if you're doing this, then come and talk to us before you kind of get into this, this kind of scenario. I would want to know more tools and techniques. You shared mm-hmm. with us one and more along those lines. And 
um, see what are other creative ways that you help people. Like, you know, because we all have a whole bunch of tools across us, but there's like certain tools that we use. And I'm always curious as to what other mental health professionals are using in their profession and what will work. So that's what I'd want to know. And I think there's going to be a lot more laughter and <laughs> silliness too in that. <laughs> I don't know how you guys do it, dealing with the things that you have to. It sounds like, you know, there's, there's some pretty heavy moments in, the, in your practices, right? You're dealing with people that they're, most vulnerable, at their most hurt, at their most upset, angry, fearful, all of that. And the two of you bringing, lifting it up. Actually, my, my dad shared this game they used to play in the military. So uh, it's called push ball. This is a humongous ball. It was like this, the size of maybe like two people, huge, huge. And they would split up in the teams and one team would try to push the ball down to one goal. And then the opposite team would push the ball back to the other goal. And the whole idea was see who can get the most times down the field. Well, he said, you know, people would push one way or push the other, but the ball wouldn't always move very much, just in like little fractions. But sometimes the team would lift the ball up in the air and that would give it even more leverage to push it further down the field. And I think the thing that you, the two of you shared and what you learned you're also skilled at lifting the ball up, right? You lift the spirit, lift the energy in the space so that the learning can happen. So that there's even, you can leverage the mood or you leverage the energy to move the ball down even further to get through the conflict in a more graceful way to heal the relationship or separate in a, in a, in a way that, that's empowering to the, two, uh, um, to the people you're working with. So I'm so grateful that I have the two of you in my life. Thank you so much for being so such fun loving, caring, professional, gifted individuals. My pleasure. I would say extraordinary. <laughs> yes, I think so. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for having me. It was we awesome. all are. <laughs> oh my gosh. And there, and I will definitely put your, your websites or phone numbers or whatever you think is appropriate for those who've been listening to you know, get connected with you and perhaps you know, get some of that, uh, that magic conflict resolution dust sprinkled on them. I'm like ooh, like salt bay <laughs> yeah oh <laughs> uh, thank you guys so much for being here and those of you who tuned into this episode of not quite strangers thank you all so much for being a part of this community so you know if you're not subscribed currently make sure you do so go to notquitestrangers.com and there you can subscribe to get all of the episodes including this one directly in your inbox and if you have youtube and you prefer to subscribe to our youtube channel there on Connect to Joy, you'll also be able to get a notification anytime a new video is posted. We're on all the podcast platforms as well if you're more of the auditory type. So looking forward to having more guests for, with more meaningful, more interesting conversations. I think you guys hit all the bells. You know, definitely brought connection, you inspired curiosity, and we challenged the status quo. There's something about intoxication. I'm gonna have to unpack that a little bit more. I know, I know there's something big there. There's something big. I feel it. We can't wait to see it. Can't wait. I can't either. <laughs> In any case, everyone, thank you so much for joining us. Have a wonderful rest of the day, everyone. You've been listening to the podcast, Not Quite Strangers. Be sure to subscribe or follow on your favorite video or podcast platform. And for more information and content, go to notquitestrangers.com. See you next time.